0: I'm Patience Adamu.
1: And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution.
0: Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues
1: on a weekly basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe.
0: On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of September 26th, including...
1: Enemy says goodbye and likely good riddance to the Greens. Canada's first national day of reconciliation and Trudeau's travel. Alberta's sorry state of affairs.
0: Big Brother gets its first black winner. Party infighting south of the border takes a toll on the Democrats. Food prices are too damn high. And plenty more.
1: To kick off our politics segment, well, friends, this was the week of various political stories where, except for one, none were all that good. To begin, Annemie Paul made the painful but logical decision to step down as leader of the Green Party of Canada after months of misogynoir and anti-Semitic attacks from within her own ranks. As she pointed out herself, quote, I do have to realize that I won't have the opportunity to lead. I haven't been given that opportunity, end quote. Ms. Paul steps down after an election campaign that saw her party's vote share drop way down, where she lost her own seat, and where her party failed to run a full slate of candidates, not to mention they lost one MP to the election and another before then. We spoke about enemy's election results in our last episode, by the way. Check that out for more. But was it her fault? Nah, fam. Let's look at the facts demonstrating a pattern of sabotage, shall we? She was denied a campaign manager for this election, which is absolutely crucial to electoral success, not to mention it was embarrassing that she, as a leader, didn't have one. Exactly. And they were literally coming for her leadership, threatening her with a review since July 20th, which was basically reinstated the morning of the election. And let's take it back to her first by-election run when the party distracted her campaign by sending her an invoice for fifty thousand dollars in the midst of her run, then, and to make all that worse, they forced her to work for free for about three months before giving her an employment contract upon her winning the leadership. Oh my God! Like Sean Yo, a party operative who worked on Paul's leadership campaign and managed her by-election campaign, said, "Quote: It's very hard not to see this process through the lens of race, gender, and religion." I want to be very clear that I'm not trying to paint this organization as overtly racist. But they are. I'm saying that there's been prolonged, profound challenges in Annamie being effective in this role, and I observe that the leadership level of this organization is primarily white. Mm -hmm. In 2021, that means something. End quote. He said that in the Toronto Star back in June. So when you hear Annamie at her final news conference as leader say quote, what I didn't realize at the time was that I was breaking a glass ceiling that was going to fall on my head and that I would have to crawl over as leader, end quote. That's what she means. Needless to say, if you care about stopping anti-Black racism, misogynoir, the Green Party simply isn't for you. Annamie Paul was the first Black and Jewish leader of a mainstream federal party in Canada. May she not be the last. Thoughts on this news, Patience? I know earlier in the week it it bothered you quite a bit, eh?
0: Yeah, I I I don't like uh, that the first black person to lead a national party only led that national party for what nine weeks, twelve weeks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I I think it it sets us up to expect to 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 maintain very low expectations of our leaders. And, you know, there are other parties that also, frankly, I would argue that every other party also struggles with some level of of racism within their ranks. But this, this kind of shows people that sometimes it really is that bad. Yeah. It does completely marginalize you to the point where you cannot be effective in your role, in your campaign, in your goals, in your mental clarity. You know I really want to thank enemy for giving the drip you know some 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 time and some space for sure. only leader of a national party who who agreed to 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 speak with us, and that is not as a result of lack of trying.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You, you can tell she was really for for us, for for black voices, for the black agenda. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it it really it bothered me it because it's devastating to me. and I think black people are going to think twice before taking on the role of leader of a national party because of this experience?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came across um, something. Uh, I came across a piece of information earlier today that made what happened to Annamie more clear to me mm. um, because I, as much as obviously we've been talking about what's been happening to her and, and why it's been happening, uh, there was an important context that I even that even I was entirely missing, which is that the Green Party, even before Anime came on as leader, had a serious problem, it was known to have a serious problem with I don't want to say white supremacy, but but
0: you can say it <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well I just wanna no, it's because I want to be specific and clear right, about yeah. what the issue was, right? Yeah. And and so there was a massive report and what I missed was that Ani? It seems was kind of ushered in as the leader to be uh, a way for the Green Party to say, "Look, we're doing something about this really bad white supremacist problem that we have within our party." Um, oh, but yeah, exactly, right, exactly, exactly, and and that's why you when you know I just explained all the things that they did to shackle her. Um, and it really puts into perspective that they didn't want her to have any party at all. They just wanted her to serve a single purpose, which was to make the party seem more open and diverse. Um, you know, and it, I, I read, I, I, so I took that in and I said, oh my God, I totally missed that. But then I, I thought back to a piece that I read in com earlier this week by Byron Armstrong, who his piece was called, This Nation Sets Black Women on Fire. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read a, a quote from it where he says... When you hear about Black Canadian women in politics like Selena Caesar Chavannes or Anna Mie Paul facing abuse from their parties, from within and without, who are then blamed for their subsequent treatment for speaking truth everyone hears but no one listens to, remember Marie-Joseph Angelique, and, and um, earlier in the op-ed he explains about her. I really highly encourage people to read that. Anyway, getting back to the quote. They will tell you these women deserve their public torture because they would not fall into line. The descendants of the enslavers will say they were difficult and uncooperative. They will tell you that it's a coincidence that black women, quote, in this house are sidelined, open to attack and ridicule. Finally, when they crush their spirit and push them to burn the whole fucking thing down and flee, they will call them crazy. As in Angelique's case, they will use a few of us to deliver the killing blow. End quote. I'll, I'll leave it there because it really does again put into perspective what uh, what anime in particular was there at the Green Party to do. Uh, she was there to uh, help make the house more livable. Jumping to our next story, this was also the week Canada observed its first National Day of Reconciliation, which is the federal government's version of Orange Shirt Day which occurs every year on September 30th. On that day, Indigenous peoples and allies wore orange to honor the victims of residential schools. Orange Shirt Day in particular is based on the experience of Phyllis Webstad, a northern Sequepmec from the Canoe Creek Indian Band, because the orange shirt that was given to her by her grandmother on her first day of residential school was stripped from her on arrival which is an apt symbol of the stripping away of culture, freedom, and self-esteem that continues in many cases to this day. On Wednesday night, Prime Minister Trudeau and several survivors spoke at the Truth and Reconciliation Ceremony on Parliament Hill, urging Canada to come to terms with its ugly history of residential schools. He also came under fire from Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, the media, and others for spending part of Canada's first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation flying to Tofino, B.C. to join his family while he continues meetings to build his cabinet. For the record, his office denied that Trudeau was taking a vacation. Spokesman Alex Wellstad said Trudeau spent, quote, hours." on the phone, Thursday speaking to survivors of the schools to hear their stories of trauma and healing, to hear their advice on the path forward, end quote. Trudeau's itinerary for the day initially said he was in private meetings in Ottawa that was changed to Tofino. But quite frankly, we don't know if that's actually true. O'Toole, for the record, attended the same truth and reconciliation day ceremony Wednesday night, he kind of was on the outskirts of the event, but anyway, on Parliament Hill, and his spokesperson said that he spent Thursday in Ottawa, quote, taking the opportunity to remember and honor the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families, and their communities, end quote. A spokesperson for Trudeau said he hopes O'Toole took the opportunity to actually speak with some survivors like Trudeau did. For his part, NDP leader Damit Singh attended a Orange Shirt Day walk and ceremony Thursday outside Vancouver's Aboriginal Friendship Center, according to a spokesperson. I don't know, Patience. What did you make about this whole ordeal with uh, with Trudeau's travel?
0: That's the thing, like Trudeau, like this is the first one, fam. Like it's the first National Day of Reconciliation. You and your government have been obviously making progress, but have been slow to increase the standard of living in Indigenous communities across the country. Like we still can't say. Uh, today that indigenous communities across the country have access to clean and fresh water. So this is not the day to go with your family and, and, and enjoy some some private time. like this is this is not what you're supposed to be doing. If in fact he did spend the majority of the day you know talking to survivors and doing what he should do on, on a day that is dedicated to reconciliation, then great, but it, it isn't clear. And frankly, all I've been hearing is that he was on vacay on September 30th. And like, that's not good. So I don't know, man. I, I, Trudeau. Yeah. That, 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 I'm going to leave it there.
1: Honestly, for me, it's like, it, it, it's, it's not a good sight in terms of the imagery, obviously, but I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like people are complaining for the sake of complaining. Um, I, Oh, fair. Yeah, yeah. And, And when you look at the context of the situation, that's why I reached my conclusion. The reality is there was an official ceremony for this the night before, which he attended. He spoke at the whole point of or the whole fact that we are in this place as a country where we are reflecting and truly paying attention to what we have done to indigenous people. He is part and parcel of the reason why we are here. Um, I don't think that should be forgotten. And then the context that right now he is currently building his cabinet and preparing for a new session of government. And this is one of those opportunities where he has to do that, to, to be with his family for a bit while he puts that cabinet together to once again govern the country. I mean, I think that we're not really putting into perspective the full context here. And that's what's missing for me. Like, I get it. You, you want him to be talking to Indigenous people all day? Sure. I mean, look, for, for me, let, 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 I'll look at it from my perspective. What did I do that
0: day? Mm-hmm.
1: I, I listened to um, Front Burners podcast talking about one Indigenous young man in particular. His derogatory name was uh, Dummy Bad Boy, uh, but he's, uh, he's, he's a story of one of the first people who, because of work of so many in this country, are trying to uncover uh, the names, the full identities of some kids who we didn't know, even though... So, for example, again, his uh, derogatory name was Dummy Bad Boy. All we had at some point was the fact that his last name was Bad Boy and that he went to a certain school. And it was a a couple of of, of Indigenous women in particular who took it upon themselves to really figure out who this child actually was and where where he came from. Uh, and to put into perspective the painstaking work that lies ahead for the tens of thousands of other children that we're going to uncover over time, right? I also paid more attention to um, uh, looking at original treaties and the ones that still need to be corrected. So I, I made sure that there was some thought, some deep thought. But did I spend my entire day? No. I, I mean, but are you the did prime everybody minister? spend their entire day? I'm not the prime minister, but... I mean, truly, should the prime minister be focused on that the entire day?
0: I mean, is that the, realistic? Here's the thing. So, so it, it wouldn't have been a thing unless Aaron O'Toole or Jagmeet Singh brought it up, right? But now that they bring it up, you're kind of like, ah, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it, it, like, it, you kind of have a point there, you know? You kind of have a point that if, if it's the first day, like, if this is a day that you passed into law maybe do a little bit more i can go either way but i get how what Arnold Tool said I, I get why it, it's effective <laughs>
1: mm. well clearly it's effective because yeah. we've been talking about it for days jumping to alberta's sorry state of affairs they're kind of on fire right now in fact for weeks alberta has been grappling with the worst COVID 19 crisis in the country about 200 additional ICU beds have been opened up while hospitals have struggled to keep up with the waves of mostly unvaccinated patients being admitted. There are over 20,000 COVID cases in that province right now, and over 1,000 people are sick in hospital. Back on Wednesday, the province recorded 34 deaths from COVID, a near one-day record during the pandemic, second only to last January when 38 Albertans fell to the virus. My gosh. According to the province's own early warning system, Alberta is three to four weeks away from the worst case. All 380 available ICU beds would be filled, forcing hospital staff to choose who receives care and who dies, according to protocol. This is all a result of Premier Jason Kenney appeasing the most uninformed, anti-government people in his party by opening for summer.
0: Idiots.
1: And opening for good. All while all evidence pointed to that being the exact wrong thing to do. And here we are. People are dying. That unfortunate and completely avoidable state of affairs has had Alberta's healthcare sector demanding that Kenny put a lockdown in place to act as a circuit breaker to COVID transmission, which to this day he's declined. What? His, They're not on lockdown. His reasoning, because quote, it make no sense for the eighty percent of the population that has received at least one dose. But you and, can quote, still get
0: COVID. Is he dumb?
1: He's also said that unvaccinated people wouldn't listen anyway, which is, you know, the exact opposite of what happens during a lockdown and everywhere is closed. The health sector is also calling or has also called for additional support to ease pressure on ICUs and staff, which I guess because he wanted to somehow still appear like he had things under control, he initially declined as well. Thankfully, though, he came to his census later in the week, accepting 35 out-of-province healthcare staff from Newfoundland and Labrador the Canadian Armed Forces, and about 20 from the Canadian Red Cross, who would likely be heading to Fort Mac, Edmonton, and Red Deer to help manage the crisis in those particular regions. The Premier also announced that all 25,000 public service employees in Alberta would be required to show proof of vaccination or proof of negative COVID-19 testing, and that those who opted for the daily testing would have to pay for it themselves. Wow. By the way, in addition to Alberta... The Canadian Medical Association is calling for lockdowns in Saskatchewan, another province setting records in ICUs with unvaccinated people. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, If. only in theaters May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news? I remember earlier in the summer patients um, when, uh, you know, Jason Kenney made his decision to go a different route. Jason Kenney and Scott Moe Scott Mo made their decisions to go this route. And um, I was kind of like, this is not smart, but um, you know what? Let them do it, man. Let them- and it's not even like I want them to suffer it. Like, let's see if this actually works. Um, that was like, it really was a really stupid decision. I mean, but there's no way around that. There, it was a really stupid decision.
0: I mean, duh. And and you know, the reason why we're talking about it, right, is that, is that, is that it, it affects, like, we have a freedom of mobility clause in our constitution that means that you can travel freely within the country. So mm-hmm. if Alberta is doing this, it messes with the rest of the country right? Like this, these people can very easily get in their car and drive to BC where things are under control or get in their car and drive east. So this is not just about Alberta and, you know, Texas of the North. This is about a public health system that spans the country and and he's putting people at risk. It's, it's not cute. Like, I don't like, 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 what the heck?
1: Uh, in my opinion, it's further annoying because he always ends up turning around and doing what he should have done in the first place a few weeks or a few months ago. After giving this bravado speech about how he knows what's best and this is the way it's going to go and it'll go the way he wants it to go because that's how it's supposed to be, Man. and then everything falls apart. Like, like the reason why he's flailing in the polls, right, or falling in the polls, I should say, is because of this stupid act that he keeps putting on. He doesn't learn. I don't know, man. I, well,
0: what what does he mean the unvaccinated people wouldn't listen anyway? That's why there are consequences? Like it, it's it's a false argument. Like, what?
1: Like, it's a completely false argument. Oh, I just Yeah. So, like I said, sad state of affairs in Alberta, and uh, generally speaking, not not great stories this week in Canadian politics. Jumping to the Canadian economy. New data coming out of Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab published Wednesday showed food prices in Canada may be higher than StatsCan is revealing. According to StatsCan, food prices are up 2.7% over the last year. But new research from Dr. Sylvain Chalabois, director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, shows the food inflation rate is closer to
0: 5%.
1: Dr. Chalabois got his research surveying 10,000 Canadians over the summer to determine how consumers are responding to rising grocery bills in partnership with a consumer insight startup called Cattle. They found that 49%, nearly half of Canadians, reduced their meat intake over the past six months because of higher prices. Even in Alberta, where they love their beef, a majority of consumers, that's 57%, acknowledged cutting back on meat since the start of the year. Yo,
0: fam, uh, I just I like we need to talk about how expensive steaks are. Like <laughs> Oh my god. Continue. Sorry.
1: Many Canadians are also spending more time bargain shopping, to your point, patients, than they did last year. The survey found 42% of respondents were reading their weekly grocery store flyer more often this year than in 2020. Yep. 40% said they were buying sale items with expiry or best before dates within a few days of purchase more often now than they were last year. And 27% of Canadians said they're buying products with an enjoy tonight label more often, too. Can't afford fresh food. Can't do it. <laughs> There's been a noticeable rise in shrinkflation, too, patients, where food companies sell the same products with less quantities or volume or flavor wow. without reducing the price. Wow. They- <laughs> patients! <laughs>
0: Patience, it's bad. patience, it's bad. patience. It's bad. Listen, listen.
1: What? Patience, patience. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Tamika and I went to Jack Astors on Thursday. Okay, we went to Jack Astors. We had food in the house. we were like, yo, we haven't gone out in a while. And Jack Astors, we know, like, you know, it's one of those
0: casual childhoods.
1: But like, but more than that though, the childhood spot—you've yeah. always gone there. You know what you want when you go there. You go there for your comfort, yep, food, yep, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going. I went there for my chicken pad thai. She went there for her for her chicken. Uh, I think bow tie pasta whatever it was called. And let me tell you, okay, I get the food in the first bite. My pad thai. I'm like, yo, what? What is this? <laughs> I add salt. It doesn't help. Okay, mm. she tastes her chicken pad thai or her chicken uh, bow ties. It doesn't taste like real chicken, in her opinion, or the texture is just really odd. This is not what she's used to, right? We call the server back. I tell him what's up, and you know, to, you know, shout uh, outs to him. I forget his name, but this young guy, he was. He, I thought he was just going to take my comment and, and it would go into a black hole. He was attentive. He took it back to the kitchen. He got an answer for me. I'm like, listen, this, this. I've been getting this since I was a kid something is wrong here. This is something's off. Like, have you guys changed your recipe since? And I, you know, I understand that there's supply chain issues these days. So maybe that's a part of it. Right. He's like, I don't know about that. Uh, Two, two years ago, I think they changed the recipe to this pad Thai. Well, listen, I I've had pad Thai since two years. I know that it's been fine since then. So that's not the issue. He comes back from the kitchen. He says, you know what? They actually removed. I don't know if you cook pad Thai patients. I do. A key ingredient is fish, fish sauce. Okay. And they removed fish sauce
0: because it's too expensive. Well,
1: well they, so the way that things work in these in these kinds of restaurants is like it's all it's all distribution based, or, right. or, or like so like they have a series of, of of items that they'll get together and a series of items that they won't, basically, mm. right? And so this is just a series of items that they're no longer including in their food. Wow! In their recipes, and then they have they they clearly have a different type of a different. Type of meat that they're using too, because not only what I to- just told you about Tamika, uh, our friends as well, um, a couple, they they went to Jack Asher's as well. Uh, the male in this couple, again, you know, just like us, he goes to Jack Astor's. He knows exactly what he wants. He's been getting it forever. Uh, chicken club, right? Mm-hmm. That chicken club tasted off too, yo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so look, my food was comped on um, that couple I told you about that his food was comped. If Jackasters, anybody listening on the the podcast right now, listen, y'all got to fix that. (laughs) I just wanted to bring that up. Anyway, it's really important to not lose sight of why these things are happening. And we've spoken about these before on the podcast. One, what's been an ongoing problem because of the pandemic is logistical challenges due to production and shipping bottlenecks that are still working themselves out and hopefully will be fixed soon. Economists call this transitory. But then there's the other major issue that we actually haven't spoken all that much about on this particular podcast, climate change. In terms of why food prices are rising and there isn't an easy fix, Dr. Charles study cites, quote, macroeconomic shocks caused by both unfavorable weather patterns in the northern and southern hemisphere, as well as places like China. Mm-hmm. And these shocks could keep prices rising for decades. How so? Crop yields could decline by almost a third by 2050 unless emissions are drastically reduced in the next decade, according to a Chatham House report published earlier this month. While farmers will need to grow 50% more food to meet rising global demand. Interesting. Strap yourselves in, y'all. We're in for a wild ride.
0: Moving on to happier news (laughs) (laughs) in our Blackity Black Black segment, let's talk Big Brother. Hmm. So, Big Brother it's a show known for keeping a group of strangers in a house together with no connection to the outside world for about three months while obviously continuously filming that's the big brother element continuously filming for 24 hours every single day has just wrapped its 23rd season. Usually on shows like big brother and other like large network reality shows, there's like one or two token black people this year. As a result of the racial revolution that is ongoing, CBS decided that at least 50% of their Big Brother cast would be BIPOC. Hmm. This presented a very interesting opportunity. Because in the past 22 seasons of Big Brother, the Black person is usually the token, they often get picked off pretty early, which explains why, or at least partly why, in 22 seasons of Big Brother, there has always been a Black contestant every single season, but there has never been a Black person that has won the crown. Right. So this season, due to one of the best alliances, in my opinion, of all time, called The Cookout, an all-Black alliance, a Black person has won $750,000 worth of prize money after winning Big Brother 23. Hmm. Congratulations to Xavier Prather, a 27-year-old Black man from Kalamazoo, Milwaukee. Yo, Curtis, in Kalamazoo, that's $750,000. He's on the wrong way. He's got the loot. <laughs> Yo, this guy's buying uh, blocks, not even houses. <laughs> He's buying, like, <laughs> ain't nothing like watching Black Boy Joy on national television. But really, the real MVPs are every single person in that six person all black alliance. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that I've watched reality TV. Where no one exposed the alliance, no one betrayed the alliance, Hmm. every single person had each other's backs till the very end.
1: Very interesting.
0: Frankly, the cookout is more than an alliance, Curtis. Yeah. It's a message to Black people everywhere that we can and we should have each other's best interests in mind, despite other allegiances. And perhaps more importantly, it puts non-Black folks on notice that the days of divide and conquer are ending when one of us wins, we all win
1: I like that very I much s-
0: right i I say that but I, I want to lead into a question for you Curtis. Mm. there's been a lot of discussion after Xavier won the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars there's been a lot of conversation around how uh you know black black people winning is often met with some white backlash. Mm-hmm and how next season or in, in future seasons of Big Brother we might see a white alliance. Well, called green <laughs> beam password. <Casserole. laughs> <laughs> that 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 was that was obviously that was a joke, but but the, the the alliance idea was not a joke. Right. And how it's it's not the same thing, right? What do you think about, you know, reality shows or 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 future seasons of Big Brother having an all-white alliance and what that does? to um you know white supremacy or
1: or, but but what these but what people who are saying this don't understand and maybe i'm wrong here but what they don't understand is that these white alliances already exist
0: thank you (laughs) like they're
1: they're already unspoken i mean maybe unspoken to non-white people i think they're well spoken about in white circles
0: you know 22 seasons of big brother like we're white alliances
1: (laughs) come on i mean (laughs) get your facts straight fam
0: Yo, I don't know if anyone watches The Circle on Netflix, but <coughs> white alliances are all over the place.
1: Mm. Mm. So, anyway. uh, yeah. Yeah. Miss, miss us with
0: that. Moving on to news from the world. So we have two stories this week. The first one, I, I, I wanted to talk about, given the context of what just happened with, uh, anime story and the, the story of infighting within her party mm-hmm. uh, and, and how destructive that was in comparison to what infighting is supposed to actually be like the, what i'm going to talk about with the u.s democrats is what infighting is supposed to be it's supposed to be infighting for the for the betterment of the people right not infighting for um you know some kind of self-engross window dressing or, bullshit. right bullshit yeah right so um you know i I I just want to remind everyone, not all Democrats are progressive, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Biden is trying to get a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill through the Senate, through the House, so he can basically keep the lights on in the government. Mm -hmm. And they basically have the votes to do so. We we talked ad nauseum about how the Democrats have just, I think it's maybe one one, uh, additional vote over the Republicans. So in theory they can do this if all the reps fall in line nope don't (laughs) care progressive reps people like representative aoc are not voting in favor of the infrastructure bill their own infrastructure bill unless the party agrees to an even larger listen here Mm -hmm. 3.5 trillion dollar climate change and welfare bill. Mm -hmm. So why should you care? Well, I mean, first of all, given everything that Curtis just said about climate change, Mm -hmm. the United States investing in climate change is probably going to benefit the entire world, first thing. Right. Second, well, the the companies that funded Biden's presidential campaign, which are the leaders of some of the largest multinationals in the world, are banking on this trillion dollar infrastructure spend. Mm -hmm. If they don't get it, our global markets could tank, and our gas prices could rise as they already are starting to creep up. It's starting? Yeah. Right. I don't know how Biden's going to get himself out of this one. Do you have any ideas, Curtis?
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to start though, it's it's not really Biden that's holding this up. Um, oh yeah,
0: it's the there's, house.
1: Um, there's two representatives in particular. There's Joe Manchin mm-hmm. and um, and Kirsten Cinema. So Joe Manchin's of West Virginia, uh, Kristen Cinemas of Arizona, and uh, these are two quote moderate Democrats. I don't know why they're called dem- moderate Democrats because they're not moderate at all. They're something else. Um, they are the ones. They are the ones that are holding up the legislation. And, and here's here's the back story. Right, the, the the legislation, the two different bills now were actually one. They were supposed to be passed as one. And it is these two senators that I just mentioned that got it split up. Uh, House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi caved to them and the bill was split up. And so that's why you saw AOC get cheesed. You saw the the Progressive Caucus within the Democratic Party get, get cheesed. And actually, it's, it's really important to kind of take a step back on, on just that note in particular. The reason why we're here, why there's actually so much that we didn't discuss already and I'm kind of jumping the gun here. Um, so like all this week, There was supposed to be a vote on the bill on Monday, then it was pushed back to Thursday, and then now it's being pushed back indefinitely because initially those two senators I mentioned, uh, they wanted it, I don't know why they wanted it to be on the floor, but they wanted it to be on the floor. And the progressive caucus said, hell no. Hell no. We agreed that this was all going to pass as one, and if that's not going to happen, you're not getting the infrastructure. And the reason why this is a big deal today uh, versus any other time in history, or probably in the last 50 years, really, is that the, the progressive caucus within the Democratic Party... Let's, let's take a step back. The, Democratic par- uh, the progressive caucus within the Democratic Party is the biggest caucus in the Democratic Party. Right. And they're also the second biggest caucus in all of politics in the United States. So they finally decided to use the clout that they have and say, yo, we have 90 motherfucking members here, fam. Yep, yep, 90 yep. men, uh, 94. Do as fans.
0: we say. <laughs> Do as we
1: say. You ain't getting none if you don't listen to us. And that's exactly what's happening here. So we saw Biden cut his trip. He had a trip to Chicago. He cut that short. He's like, yo, I'm going to go to the house, rally up the troops and stuff. And, and he went there saying, yo, we all want the same things. I'm still on your side. Let's get this done. It may not be in the, the next six minutes, the next six days, the next six weeks, but we're going to get it done. So that's where we are now. And, and and I just wanted to make that note that it's progressives doing what they were sent to do uh, in the legislature in the U.S. in the first place that is uh, uh, having us in this place now. So, yeah, yeah, you really do got to love politics. And I hope they keep holding the line. A, a point that I want to bring up in the Canadian context is that what we're seeing in the United States right now where because uh, the reason why the Progressive Caucus has been holding the line they've been better at holding the line and not caving to pressure as they always do is because there are a series of non-for-profits back home that are supporting them and saying listen we're with you we're with you you don't have to cave we're with you Mm -hmm. and that historically has not been the case historically they've just been like i don't know hi I know what my people really want, so I guess I just have to cave. Because if the party, you know, if the party ends up looking bad, then I look bad. Right. So yeah. we need that here too. Yes. And I'll leave it there for now.
0: And moving on to questions for the audience, I think we all acknowledge how groundbreaking it was to have Animi Paul, and to watch her navigate her role as Canada's first black leader of a federal party and stand with the big dogs during the the leaders' debates. I wasn't sure that I would see that in my lifetime, but we need another one. How many years do you think it will be until we see another black person lead a national party in Canada?
1: You just listened to episode 70 of The Drip. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date.
0: You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at the drip To. You know, we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up.
1: We'd also like to give a special shout-out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time.